Matthew chapter 6. I'd like to read to you verse 19 through 21. That was Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt. And where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This morning I'd like to speak to you about heavenly treasures. And I'll ask you to think about a question as you consider this message. Think about this question for yourself. Where are your treasures? Jesus said to his disciples, to you, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your affections, your thoughts, those are going to be focused on and centered on what you value, what you hold dear what you see as of importance in your life and to you. And there's a contrast here between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. Now I want to look at a few other places in Scripture and just look at what some heavenly treasures are and not uh, explain all of this verse here of what Jesus says. But as we're pausing here for a moment, consider the contrast between a heavenly treasure and a have, uh, earthly treasure in terms of their comparative value. Contrast them. Uh, first of all, an earthly treasure is temporary. It has a season of time. Uh, he talks about moth and rust corrupting. Every earthly treasure is only temporary. Temporary in how long it lasts. Temporary in how long it can be enjoyed. Secondly, we see that there is a contrast in their security of those things, in the stability of those treasures. An earthly treasure, a thief can break in and steal it. You could imagine if you had at your house a vault where you heaped up all kinds of treasures. You piled gold and silver and, and other valuable things in there. Well, it's only as secure as the means you have to secure it and something one day could happen where you've piled up all your years of labor in the treasures in that safe and one day you're away and a thief breaks in and takes it all. And everything you have labored for, everything you've valued, everything you've set your thoughts and your affections on is gone. But the treasures that are secure in the heavens are safe. And secure. And also, uh, there's a contrast in terms of their comparative value. 
In another place, Peter speaks about how you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. What can silver and gold buy you? They can buy you many great things in this, in this world, in this earthly existence. They can buy you a nice car, beautiful house, all kinds of possessions. They can buy you the means to travel around this world. But what can the precious blood of Jesus purchase for his people? A clear conscience. The forgiveness of your sins. Eternal life. A cleansing that can redeem you unto God for the enjoyment of an eternal inheritance. So when you compare them side by side in terms of value, even what we might look at as the most incorruptible, precious thing, material in this world, such as gold. You know, gold can be buried underground or in the depth of the sea for centuries and then dug up and it still sparkles and shines. And yet in comparison with the precious blood of Christ, it's corruptible. It's corruptible because the precious blood of Christ doesn't fade away. It doesn't corrupt. It doesn't lose its value. Its value is everlasting. And so let us have our minds and our affections, our heart set upon those heavenly treasures. So let me turn with you to Colossians chapter 3 where some of these heavenly treasures are spoken of. Some of the heavenly treasures. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes to the church, he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Well, right here, right here we see the most precious and valuable heavenly treasure of all Christ himself it says if you be risen with Christ well what's he referring to well that you see there's context you have to go back into chapter 2 where he talks about God's work of grace in drawing his people to himself saving them by the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and raising us up to newness of life verse 12 buried with him in baptism Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. This is what it says about the believer in Jesus Christ. That you have been raised up together with Christ. That your spiritual existence is now resurrected and present with Jesus Christ. That the old life that you lived according to the flesh is passed away and you are raised to newness of life. And that newness of life is not in yourself, but in Christ. If you then, he says, be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. So we have, on one hand, we have the status of those who have been saved by the grace of God, that your status is now present, risen up with Jesus Christ. And then because of that status, you are called to have your affections and your life, the actions and words of your life, live in agreement with that spiritual heavenly status of what Jesus has done. So if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Now, here's a call 
to action of sorts. This is an action of your heart and your affections and your mind, your focus, what you value. To set it upon the things which are above, the heavenly things. For you're dead, he says. You're dead, your old life. Uh, For ye are dead. Sorry, let's go back. Verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And I understand that word hid here. Your life is hid with Christ in God. It speaks about the security and the safety. If you had a really valuable treasure, you know, if you do have, uh, if you do happen to have a lot of gold, great for you. That's wonderful. Um, don't tell a lot of people about it. <laughs> you know, you want to keep that safe. You want to keep it secure. It's not about, uh, you know, your life hid with Christ and God. It's not about this. This is supposed to be a secret. In this case, it's about the safety, the security of it. See, that life can't be taken away. That life can't be plucked away from you by a thief or even by the corruption of your flesh and death itself. But it is secure if it is in Jesus Christ. It is the most secure, safe, lasting thing that you can imagine. So that greatest heavenly treasure of all we have is Jesus Christ himself. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavens. Have your affections set there. Consider his characteristics, his qualities, the love that he had for his people, his compassion, his mercy. His loving kindness, his patience, his forgiveness for sinners, his willingness to sacrifice himself and to serve those that he loved. The love that he has for his people who are his precious bride. Consider that and the value of that and have your affection set upon him. And then also, what is another heavenly treasure? Eternal life, your life. That's speaking of your new life is hid with Christ in God. It's secure in him and it's eternal and it's precious. And then uh, later on here, he speaks about how we are to live with the characteristics, the qualities that are the living out of the image of Christ in his people. It says that. God's people are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the work of God in sanctifying us in this life. Even his discipline of us, his instruction of us, his correction of us. All this is working towards a determined goal, which is to make you like more and more like Jesus. To conform you to his image. And you know, those characteristics, those qualities that God is working in his people Those are things that we carry with us through this life and on into the next. God is forming a holy character in his people, which will never be taken away from them. There are so many things in this world, earthly treasures, which will one day fade away, which you cannot take with you. You can pile up piles of treasure, but you can't bring it with you. But what will go with you? is the righteousness which God is working in the lives of his people as he conforms us to the image of Christ. So here are what some of them are. Verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Where do we see those qualities embodied and shining forth in the fullness of their brightness more than in the person of Jesus Christ. And that those are the qualities that we are called to put on. We're his people. We're his bride. He said, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We think sometimes forgiveness is one of the hardest things for us to do. But it's one of the things that when we do forgive is one of the things that's most like what Christ has done for us. And if you have difficulty forgiving when someone has sinned against you, stop and consider how much has God forgiven you for Christ's sake because of what he's done. And if the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover your sins against God, how much more someone else's sins against you? And above all these, he says, put on charity, charity or love. He calls it the bond of perfectness. It is what will make us complete. It was it will what what make us uh, fully embody the unity and love that God has for his people here in this earth. And then he says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The peace of God. What a precious treasure the peace of God is. It says we have peace with God. We have peace with God because we're justified. He's reconciled us to himself. And then he says, uh, which to the which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. Thankfulness. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Oh, we have a precious thing with the word of Christ. What a precious treasure we have. It says his words shall not fail. It says the scripture cannot be broken. It says that God's word will come down and it will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. It says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable to us. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Appreciate the good message that Elder White has brought forth. And ask that you pray as we change the order of service for a few more minutes. As we mentioned, Sister Anita received the the surprise phone call that her sister had uh, passed away suddenly. She often talked to her sister, even though she lived in Florida, uh, frequently, and was just uh, really surprised. Sister Tracy just announced that she had a, a friend that uh, died suddenly. And there's a uh, sort of a different feeling sometimes when you have someone that's been sick for a long time and uh, maybe near 
to the point of death for some time and then you hear that they passed away and in some respects you uh, realize it's an answered prayer that they didn't have to struggle and they didn't have to suffer any longer and sometimes you get to that point but when someone's younger or someone passes away suddenly uh, it's it's a little bit different the feelings and response are somewhat different I had a friend that I found out yesterday that I've known 45 years that her health was failing and the last time that I was in Texas was at Elder when I was there for Elder Sonny Powell's funeral I looked her up in the local nursing home went to see her and uh, when I when I went to see her um, she in her 90s she was playing bingo with the rest of the folks and she didn't hardly respond to me and I thought I wonder if she even knows me and then as I watched a little closer she was winning the bingo game and as soon as she won she was ready to visit after that and we had a really good visit But as I left, I realized that probably that would be the last time that I would see Sister Mary on this earth and that I would look forward to seeing her in heaven. And this week confirmed that uh, notion. Paul especially gives us some real good encouragement in these times. Whether someone passes away suddenly or someone lingers for a season. My pastor, Elder George Johnson, used to say when someone was to the point of death and it seemed like that they just, it seemed like in his terms that they couldn't die. He said, there's probably somebody in the family that's not completely reconciled yet to the parting of a loved one. I saw that firsthand with Sister Barbara Dixon in the passing of Brother Jim Dixon. That as soon as she was reconciled, she began to change her prayer that God would take her suffering husband home. And I saw that firsthand. Even though death is something that we dread, it's something that we don't look forward to, There's some scriptures that help sort of change our thinking and help us out in this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a great portion of text that I I love. We'll touch on a few verses here. Paul said, I'm going to tell you some things. And then he goes down and the very last verse that he reads, that he uh, is inspired to write here, tells us the whole purpose of of what he's writing right here. Certainly it's to inform us. Certainly it's to educate us. Certainly it's to help us. But the main purpose that he's writing this is the purpose of comforting us. And Paul tells us that right here. He says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. So the purpose of this is to comfort one another. So Paul tells us, he said, there's some things here that will help you when you face these times and by the way unless God comes back we're all going to experience it in some fashion or another elder and sister Compton were married 76 years and 
What a grip on his heart it took when his wife went to be with the Lord. Paul says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brother. What Paul is saying right here is I want you to be informed about something. I'm going to tell you something that's going to help you. I'm going to tell you something that you can use to help somebody else with. And he says, I'm not, I want you not to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. And what he's talking about right here is those that have passed from this life. We have a cemetery right across this uh, yard over here. That's what he's talking about. He's referring to those that are asleep. And what he's referring to is those that are asleep in Christ. He says, brethren, concerning those that are asleep, that ye sorrow not. Now, he doesn't stop there. And I'm glad that he didn't. Because sorrow is a very real response when someone passes away. When a parent, a grandparent, a sister, a husband. When someone passes away, sorrow is a very real response that folks have. Nobody has to describe to you who have experienced it, what sorrow is. But he says that in the midst of this sorrow, you're not to sorrow as folks that don't have hope. And he describes the difference here. He says, for we sorrow not even as others which have no hope, And then he tells us, he begins to define or describe what the difference is right here. He doesn't say not to sorrow, but he says in the midst of your sorrow, you can actually be encouraged and comforted in the knowledge that you have. And here's what he says. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. There's a church out in, uh, I think it's Clovis, New Mexico. And uh, elder, uh, brother Sonny Lorenz, who taught singing schools around the country, told of the experience of his father passing away while at church. In fact, his dad, Elder Lorenz, had visited here at Mount Carmel and preached here at Mount Carmel through the years. And Elder Lorenz was preaching the gospel in Clovis, New Mexico at a fifth Sunday meeting. And all of a sudden he looked up and he said, look, I see the angels. And he fell over dead. Brother Sonny said, when the news came to me that my father was called home while he was telling others about Jesus Christ, he said, I sorrowed, but he said, I rejoiced in the midst of that sorrow. That's what he's talking about right here. Yes, we can sorrow, but we can rejoice because there's something far better. Here's what he says. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. He describes how it's going to take place right here. First of all, he says that if we believe in Christ. Now, the belief in Christ is the evidence 
that you're a child of God. That is an evidence of where you're going to live. And if you've been around a dear old saint, an old grandmother that spent her life going to church and singing about the Lord and sitting there hearing the preaching of the gospel about the Lord, and you've been there and you've been in their presence, then you don't have to ask whether or not they believed in Christ. They believed in Christ and their life was an evidence of their belief in Christ. And their belief in Christ was not the cause of what gets them to heaven, but it's the evidence that they're heaven bound. And so when you go to a funeral or a burial service of somebody that that has been their course of life, Paul is saying in the midst of your sorrow, rejoice because they have a hope in Christ. They have a belief in Christ and that they're now with Christ. And look what he says. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. He's already mentioned those that are asleep. As we mentioned, it's those that are in the graves, in the tombs, like uh, the cemetery across over here. He says, this is the way it's going to take place. He says, uh, He says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I'm questioned occasionally, not a lot, but occasionally uh, the topic comes up about, am I a a pre, a post, an ah, millennial, millennial, I can't even say that. You know, the thousand year reign stuff. Well, I can't understand a whole lot about that, but here's something I can't understand. That he talks about right here in Thessalonians that we're alive and we're going about life. And this is how it's going to end. And by the way, well, I'll maybe get to this here in just a minute. It says that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. So this is sort of how I believe it's going to happen. And I can... My little brain, I can wrap it around this just a little bit. He said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven and he's going to come with a shout. And I believe that shout is going to be a victorious shout. That I'm coming back and I'm I'm taking my folks home that I've redeemed, as Brother Andy said, by the blood of that precious price of the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's coming back and he's going to say, I'm coming after him. And by the way, I know where they are. Doesn't matter if they've been buried. Doesn't matter if they're in the sea. Doesn't matter how they decomposed or what their status is. Physically speaking, I know where they are and I'm coming back for them. And he says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. To me, it's a time of celebration. It's a time of rejoicing. He says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So it gives the account that there's actually going to be some folks that are still living when Christ comes back to take us home to glory. And Paul wrote this in such a fashion that he seemed to give the impression that he thought that he might be still living himself. 
And I believe that he does this for the purpose of, of, of inspiring us to be looking for the return of the Lord. That it just might be that the Lord would return in our lifetime. And that we ought to be not only longing for it, but we ought to be looking for the return of the Lord. He says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, that's how Paul sums it up right here. And it sounds really good to me. That we're going to be with the Lord and we're going to be with him forever. Paul describes it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul starts out and he, 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 he talks about the resurrection. And he says, I declare, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Verse 1 of chapter 15. Which also ye have received, wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now he's talking about the gospel of the resurrection. But he says something here that, boy, this just sounds like it goes contrary to what we believed. If we believe that we're saved by grace and that we're kept by grace. Look what he says right here. He says, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory there is a salvation a deliverance in knowing that you're heaven bound there is a salvation and deliverance to know that you're going to be delivered from this earth but your salvation is not dependent upon your memory there's some blessings that you experience here in this life about your salvation that you're made aware of. But it's not saying right here that you're going to lose your salvation if you forget about it. What about the folks that have Alzheimer's, that have dementia? If, they, if their mind declines to the point that they can't remember it, would they lose their salvation? Absolutely not. Our salvation is not based upon our memory. Our salvation is not based upon our works. Our salvation is not based upon our actions. Our salvation is not based upon our, our decisions that we make here in this life. Our salvation is based upon, as Brother Andy laid out, the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God who chose us from before the foundation of the world, knew us in his mind, and it was purposed in his mind, even from before the foundation of the world. God purposed and planned and designed to have a people with, it, with him in glory, to rejoice forevermore. And Jesus Christ came to make that way and fulfill that way. He did. And when he declared that it was finished, he paid the price completely in full, in full. Paul comes down and he, he, he mentions, he says uh, in verse 
He says, verse 11, Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believe. Now, if Christ be not preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? He says, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is vain also. Paul is saying you can't have the resurrection without Christ. And that Christ did arise. And he says, if Christ did not arise from the dead, if Christ did not arise from the tomb, he says, if Christ is not risen, then is your preaching vain? And he says, and your faith is vain also. He's basically saying right here that if Christ has not risen, then we don't need to assemble here this morning. There's no purpose in our assembly if Christ did not rise from the tomb. He says, if Christ is not risen from the tomb, you don't have any reason to preach the gospel. You don't have a gospel to preach if Christ did not rise from the tomb. And then he talks to the rest of us and he says, and the faith that you claim that you have, it's vain as well if Christ did not rise from the tomb. He says, yes, Christ rose from the tomb. And he says, and we have witnesses that Christ arose from the tomb. He says, Christ arose. He was seen among men. In Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, it, 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 it reminds us about Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and those that witnessed the resurrection of Christ. And then he comes down and he says something else here in chapter 15. Chapter 15 is really, really good. Great chapter. Verse 37. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body which shall be, but bare grain. It may have, may have chance of wheat or some other grain. He says, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him to every seed his own body. He comes down and he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that it is buried or sown a, in a sinful state. In uh, Psalms verse uh, chapter 51, the psalmist says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me against thee, and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. And then Paul says something right here. I mean, David says in verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Paul is saying right here, not that we were conceived in an ungodly state. I love these little children around. In fact, uh, when I was in the Philippines, not only did we have children, but we had uh, chickens and roosters and dogs that came up in the pulpit while we were preaching. But I love it when it's little children. So great blessing. Paul is saying right here, I mean, David's saying right here, he says, I was born in iniquity. I was born a sinner. And he says, then I begin to live my life and I realize that, that I'm a sinner. And he highlights here some specific sins. I'm not going to go into that. 
But he's asking God to have mercy upon him because he realizes that he's a sinner. He's a sinner by nature. He's a sinner by birth. He was born from sinful parents and he's a sinner by practice. And so when it says that we're sown in corruption, it simply means that this old sinner is buried in the grave. But this sinner is going to be changed. Look what he says. He says one more place here. He says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Chapter 53, corruptible are they and they've done abominable iniquity. There is none good. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven to upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand any that did seek God. And he says, every one of them is gone back. They are all together become filthy and there is none that doeth good. No, not one. So basically we're in a sinful state and we're in great need of a change. Paul describes it this way in second uh, Corinthians chapter four. He says, though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. Paul describes it in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 5 as this inward struggle that we have. This struggle. He describes it as a warfare that's going on. As a struggle that we have. If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we can maybe appear before others in one fashion. But if we're honest with ourselves about the thoughts that we have, sometimes uh, we reveal it by the words we say. Uh, James addresses the tongue. And oftentimes the tongue just conveys what's in the heart and in the mind. Remember Sister Barbara Dixon, who lived to be almost 100 years old, and she told me before she passed away, she said, Brother Stephen, remember this one thing. That sometimes the best words said are the ones that are left unsaid. We convey by what we say, by what we think, by our thoughts, by our actions, by our words, what's in our heart. And if we're honest, we realize that sometimes there's some things in our heart and our mind that we wish weren't there. We, I remember, I don't want to discourage anybody about baptism. Not at all. I was 15 when I was baptized and it's a wonderful, special day. But I had the notion in my mind... That after I was baptized, I wouldn't go to sin anymore. And I tell you, I was real disappointed that I don't even think I made it an hour. Before I realized I had a thought that was not pleasing to God. So sometimes this old Adam man, this old natural man gets real discouraged. That's the part that's going to be changed. Part Brother Andy mentioned to you is not going to be changed. That spiritual man, that godly man, that's not going to be changed. That's going on to heaven and going to praise God forevermore. 
But there's a part of us that we're not going to get rid of until we pass from this life. Until our bodies, our, our spirit has gone to be with the Lord. Until that time, we have this natural man that we have to carry around with us. And sometimes he manifests himself in ways that grieve us. Look what he says. He says, it is, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. So, basically there's a real big change that he's talking about here. He said, it is sown in corruption. But he says, I've got some good news for you. All those problems that you've had with this natural man. All these problems that you've dealt with with this outward man. All these struggles you've had that have brought about corruption. It's going to be raised incorruptible. It's going to be raised in incorruption. He comes on down and he says, it is sown in dishonor. But it is raised in glory. He said it's sown in weakness. I'm thankful we've got a good representation of young folks here this morning. You probably can't relate to this. But you're not always going to be as strong as you are right now. You tack on a few more years and, and, and you're not going to have the energy and the strength that you have right now. Brother uh, David Piles preached the funeral of his father, Elder Sonny Piles, wonderful preacher. Elder Piles had been confined to the hospital and Brother David said, I went to see my dad and my dad had always been so strong. My dad was always so able to, to do everything. He was so strong in his mind, so strong in his body. And he said, my dad was, was confined to uh, a chair beside his bed. And he said... He said, my dad was trying to get up out of the chair and he said he had pushed and he had, he, he, he tried every bit in the world and brother David offered to help him. And he said, my dad, who had always been so strong now was confined to a weak state of not being able to even get up out of a chair. And if we live long enough, we're sown in weakness. But I tell you that weakness does not prevail. That weakness does not go with us into heaven. It says that we're sown in weakness, but we're raised in power. We're not going to deal with that when we get to heaven. We're not going to deal with that weakness or those struggles. He says it's sown a natural body. We've talked about that. How the apostle Paul says he describes the natural body, the natural man. And he says it declines and it decays and, and it, 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 it just gets worse. But he says the spiritual man just gets better and better. And here's what Paul says. He says it's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. I want to just wrap it up with the last few verses. These are wonderful, wonderful verses. If you want to go through and read some more, there's, there's some really great verses that will encourage you in this. But I'm going to wrap it up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul describes it as a mystery. The reason he describes it as a mystery is, first of all, none of us have been there yet. 
Secondly, we don't understand everything there is to know about it. I'm satisfied when the Apostle Paul says that it's better. He says it's not only better, that heaven's not just better. He describes it this way as being far better. So no no matter what the best you've experienced here on this earth is, even spiritually speaking, the very best that you've ever experienced on this earth, Paul says that when you get to heaven, it's far better. One reason it's far better is we're not going to deal with the sinful nature that we have. We're not going to deal with Satan. We're not going to deal with temptation. We're not going to deal with those struggles that we have here in this life. That's that's going to make it wonderful because Satan's not going to bother us anymore. He has no dwelling place there. But here's what Paul said. He says, I'm going to show you a mystery. Now. Sometimes you like to get a glimpse of what it's going to be like. And here's what Paul says. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He says. In a moment. This is right in line with first Thessalonians chapter four. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump. The trumpet shall sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now, I tell you what, that's that is not just a slight change. That's a drastic change. And it's going to be complete. We're not going to just be changed a little bit. We're going to be changed completely. Look what he says. He said we shall be raised incorruptible. We can't hardly fathom that we shall be changed for this corruptible this natural man must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory look what he says O death where is thy sting O grave, where is thy victory? He describes right here, he says, death has a sting to it. The grave has a bitter taste to it. But he says right here that I'm victorious over death. And I'm victorious over the grave. He says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. I love this next two verses. But he says, but thanks be to God. Which giveth us, that's you and I. That's all of us here. He says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. I love that song, Victory in Jesus. One of my favorites. It describes the victory that we have through Christ. And that's what Paul's saying right here. He says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. You are victorious over sin. You're victorious over death. You're victorious over the struggles that you have through Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. Therefore, as a result, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're not doing those works in order to get to heaven, but we ought to be inspired by them. In uh, Second Cor- in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul describes, he tells us about grace and he says you're saved by grace. And he says through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God so that we don't boast about it. And then he comes on down and he says, you, as Brother Andy brought out, who have been saved are his workmanship. I like that term. It, it means that, that he's working on us. Now, sometimes that that uh, refining is challenging to us. Sometimes it doesn't feel good, but he's working on us. And if we're honest, we probably all need a lot of work. But he says we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We do it because of who we are and because of where our home is, and because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The Apostle Paul says... Therefore, my beloved brethren, those of you that are still here, you be steadfast, you be strong in what you know, you be strong in what you've been taught. You raise your children, he says, you tell your children, your children's children, even down to the third and fourth generation. You make sure they're steadfast, you make sure they're unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. A lot of things we do that that we waste our time on. But I tell you, when we're abounding, when we're doing the work of the Lord, how do we do the work of the Lord? That doesn't mean that you go out and populate heaven. What it means is you take the gifts that God's given you and you use those gifts to help other people. And when you're doing that, you're doing the work of the Lord. You're serving other folks. You take the talents God's given you, you go find somebody that you can help, somebody that you can encourage, and you're doing the work of the Lord. And he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, be ye unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For he says, by the way, I just want to let you know, and Brother Andy alluded to this, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Lord will reward you for serving him. How does he reward you? He rewards you with blessings that you just can't imagine. As I mentioned before, if you take your gift and you go try to help somebody else, you'll be a blessing to them. But the Lord, who is the paymaster, blesses you many, many times over. You want to be blessed? You go serve the Lord. The Lord will bless you with blessings. You won't be able to count the blessings that God bestows upon you. May God bless you.